You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. I love that uh, it transcends the physical realm. It's well with our soul, right? And our bodies ebb and flow and the environment in which we operate. Some of you think the, the room is extra cold right now. Some of you think it's roasting hot like me. But uh, no matter what the environment is, I know I'm strange. A few of us are. But it's funny how the physical realm often shapes whether we're doing well or not. And uh, I'm grateful that uh, through Christ, it can be well with our soul. If you don't know him as Savior, there's no medication, there's no therapy, there's no intervention that can meet that need. Only Jesus, the one who made it, can flood it with his joy and peace and salvation. I trust you'll respond today. Acts chapter 17, if you'll turn there, please, as we resume today our burning question series looking at a biblically guided conversation on culture's most debated issues. And uh, today we're looking at the next in that sequence. A couple things of note uh, before we begin. First, just want to encourage those coming to our small groups. Man, the Lord is really working in those. And we had, I think, three or four new people jump in today, newbies as well. And so if you've yet to be a part of that, I'm telling you, you, you will not regret making that decision. Come an hour and a half early and jump in on those on 9 a.m. or come on Wednesday nights with others of us that meet then. Excited about what God's doing in that. And then secondly, I want to just say this. I didn't get to say something last week with everything else we were tackling, but uh, it was a privilege to receive from many of you connection cards from our morning of worship Sunday. A lot of you were here for that, and I just wanted to follow up with you that I, I have those cards on my desk, and I'm praying through those. Some of you I may reach out and see if I can be of any help to you or encouragement, but I was just honored that you let me and many of you into your personal space two weeks ago and uh, excited and honored to be a part of that journey with you. If there's anything I can do that you want to initiate that contact as well, feel free to do that uh, in the week ahead. All right, Acts chapter 17 today. Let's read, if you will, just one verse, verse 26, and then we'll pray together and build upon some of the thoughts introduced in our video content earlier this morning. Acts 17, verse 26, Paul on Mars Hill says this, and it hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And so it is our task today to look at this topic. What about race? What about racism? Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the privilege to even meet today in this setting, Lord, and to sing our lungs and hearts out to you, whatever capacity we have today, and to consider, um, Lord, how well it is with us or how well it can be with us through what your gospel gives us that meets not just physical needs and emotional needs and mental needs, but Lord, the very soul, the, the core of who we are. And we thank you for um, just that reminder today that, Lord, we not only thought about it, we felt it, and we, sung it, we sang it to you. Thank you for that privilege. Bless now this study today as we tackle a divisive topic, a tough topic, one that many in the room, if they're like me, feel often inadequate to address. Um, Lord, and I pray that what we say today would be tempered by your spirit, but would be grounded in your word and 
May our tone be right. May our, our, our doctrine be right. May our application be right. We need your help today. Bless this study. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. made this statement, and uh, he said this, that it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is the 11 o'clock hour. Um, and I would like to say things have changed since 1963. Martin Luther King Jr. was not a perfect man, but uh, called and brought into the light many things that uh, we see in this area of racism. But today, as of just a few months ago, a recent study came out, eight in 10 American congregants, so that would be any religious gathering, not just uh, those that preach the gospel and the Bible, eight out of 10 American congregants still attend services at a place where a single racial or ethnic group comprises at minimum 80% of those in the room. And I would encourage you just for a second, look around this room, okay? We are well north of 80%, okay? And can I say to you today, my, my question is not that we would strive to be ethnic, ethnically diverse where our community is not, but to have a theology that's robust enough, enough that if God calls us to that journey, that we're ready for that. In fact, one of the studies I read, it's not that churches struggle to grow when they are diverse, it's when they try to change from one singular race to a diversified race, it tears apart churches. And one of the questions I've been asking myself is what if our, our community does change? Uh, Wayne County is a unique county. I think we're all aware of that. Um, we, a lot of us look alike, think alike. We've all been in this area for a lengthy period of time, most of us. But what if God would change that? Would our theology be robust and strong enough to process that in a way that would please and honor the Lord. So we want to look at today, Acts 17, as the Jewish believers process this in the early church, as God begins to bring in Gentiles and people of all ethnic backgrounds to the gospel. Uh, and we see here God, through Paul, giving us some instruction. Um, may I just say this as we begin, only the Bible, and it's funny to me, based on the video we just watched and otherwise, that even some Christians do not realize this and appreciate this, only the Bible can identify the roots of racism and the solutions to racism. Um, and so we're going to preach on that today, teach on that today. I trust that you'll be open to where maybe there are remnants of or uh, maybe even overt uh, components of racism that God needs to purge out of your heart. So the question today is this, and they have talking past each other, as in different races, in relation to racism, how do we interact in a way that better pleases God with every member of the human race? Is our gospel unique to our, our, our ethnic and cultural background, or does it transcend that? Uh, clearly, the gospel of the word does just that. So let's talk about today three common areas. And uh, the, ver the key word in verse 26, we'll come back to in a moment. Notice he says, and it hath made of, what's the next word? One. So we're going to talk about today three shared connections that every human being have that give us bridges of commonality to build these relationships that we need to have with not just folks who look and think and feel like us, but the world at large in a way that pleases the Lord. So let's talk about these three common areas that I think will free us where we have maybe tendencies toward being racist. Number one, let's find answers through our shared origin. Find answers uh, through our shared origin. <laughs> My boys uh, enjoy golf. Uh, Ian golfs here for the city of Worcester. 
and uh, Landon is a, a, an amateur golfer versus Ian, who is the professional of the family. Heidi came across this picture the other day. They're out of town this morning, so I can get away with showing this picture. They're visiting some cousins down in Dover area. Uh, my brother's family's there. But this is Landon and Ian, the first time we ever went golfing. Um, and we went to a driving range. It's called Sandbaggers. I think it's on uh, uh, B Route 3 going toward Medina. And they were so pumped to go with dad as little, they don't necessarily enjoy me going, I slow them down now, okay, especially Ian. Um, but uh, Landon just has this little golf bag, which is just a canvas bag with a couple of clubs tucked in it. Uh, he's got his shades on. And I think that's a baseball glove on his left hand. Uh, Ian's might actually be a real golf glove, although I think that's in question too. Um, and I, I still remember that day, first time they held a club and we're, you know, we're acting like we know what we're doing in the driving range. Some of you know God has gifted our family with two sons, and they have different ethnic backgrounds. Do you know that all of us have a shared origin? All of us come from the same person, the same place. And I find in our day, we have forgotten that. Um, it's interesting to me how each of these burning questions, if you get one wrong, it affects another. Remember we talked about uh, evolution recently? If you get that wrong, you're going to get race wrong. And so this relationship that we have with one another because we come from the same origin. So let's talk about that quickly. Go back to verse 24. Paul here launches his sermon, this impromptu sermon that just he couldn't help himself. He had to speak up as he was in this place of ignorance and, and racism and the things that swirled around him. Verse 24, God this unknown God, he's about to declare God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temple, temples made with hands. All right, let's, let me give you a couple of sub points there in your bulletin, not on our slides today. Number one, we have a created origin. So we have a shared origin, and that origin is that all of us were created by God. I've learned in my, my teaching and preaching ministry and counseling not to assume anything. Do you believe today that God has made every one of us? That we issue from God, we will someday return to God and stand before him, the one who has made us. And so here Paul begins, as missionaries often will tell us, you start with a pagan culture and you go to where their origins are and what they believe about their origins and teach them about creation, the testimony of it, and how it points them to a relationship with God. And so Paul begins with these religious people by going back to their understanding of origins. All right, verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeth he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And so as he began to look at all of these temples and all the ornate uh, edifices of religiosity there in that culture, he he, he says God doesn't need any of this. Um, in the, the idol temples, they would often bring meat and drink to, quote, feed their idols. And Paul's saying, this God doesn't need that. He's the source of meeting our needs. He's the origin of who we are. He doesn't need anything from us. And so this true God doesn't need from us any specific human-created uh, type of gift or resource he is the one who is the source of all life, all breath, and all things. And that means no matter your skin pigment, you derive all of that from a singular God. He is the one true God. 
Um, one of the things that, that struck me as I was thinking on this subject is the idea of, of even the colors that we use. Most of us in the room would be described as white, uh, or maybe we have some other ethnicities, but Caucasian or whatever the label by me may be. And I would be referenced as a white man. Can I just show you the contrast between the color white and my skin? <laughs> this here is white, right? Not, not this. I just got sunburned this last Monday watching golf, okay? I'm peeling today. Um, whatever, whether it's black or whatever the color may be, we all are just hues of the same color, right? Melanin, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a tan, if you will, color. And so these divisions we create often divide us from our source, which is God. God made all of us. He made every human being you ever bump into or meet. We all come from the same God. All right, look at verse 26 now, and notice a second area uh, that Paul addresses here as it relates to our origins. Verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations. So he does now add some plurality to, the, or acknowledges the differentiating aspects of who we are. We're one blood of all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. All right, number two, jot this down. Not only is there a created origin, number two, there is a diversified origin. Our differences also come from the same source. And this is where we get off with, with our view of race is, is, for one, we view ourselves as being of different races when we're all of the human race. We're of one blood. But our unique idiosyncrasies and differences God is just as involved as in those as he is our commonalities. Does that make sense? So it's not just that the origin of, of where we're the same comes from God. Also where you're different from me as, as a female, as I'm a male, or uh, my age versus your age, or where I grew up versus where you grew up. All of those unique backstories that make you uniquely who you are, including your, your fingerprints, the diversity amongst us in this room and those that are least like us in this room still come from in their original source from the same God. I've talked about this before, but I think one of our issues in Wayne County, and I'm one of those of us here in Wayne County, is we maybe aren't as well-traveled and uh, broad in our understanding of the world as some. I don't think we realize how how unique our county is in some ways. I'm not saying it's, it's sanctified more than other places. This is a unique place. And some of us, we've lived most of our lives here. I travel a bit more than some, and Brother John, he's gone every week, right, Miss Christine? He's traveling all over. He can't remember where he's been with his work. Some of us travel a little bit more outside of this context. Can I just tell you, not everybody is like you or has to be like you. And not everybody has to be like me or like us in this place in fact, a lot of that originates from God himself. Uh, one author I was reading said this, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all of one's lifetime. And so people being different is not necessarily bad. And I think we give off that vibe more than we realize we need to recognize that someone living in another place, I'm not talking about sin, I'm not talking about idolatry and blatant rejection of God, but unique things of culture uh, ultimately have their origins in uh, God himself. All right, so let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this origin. First in verse 26, as we just saw and read, 
All nations come from a common ancestor, and that original ancestor would be Adam. Our most recent link would be Noah. Uh, and so all nations come from the same source, the, f- the same family tree, if you will, that issues ultimately from God himself. Um, it's interesting here, Paul says in verse uh, 26 toward the end, this idea of determine the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation on your own time. Go to Deuteronomy 32.8. Just write down that reference, Deuteronomy 32.8. It says there, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people. The fact that we're where we are, that we live where we live today, is not by random chance. Isn't that amazing to think about today? And those that live in other parts of the world and those who live in other regions, especially the cultural norms of that region, have their origins in God himself. And so Paul here, a student of the Torah, a student of the books of Moses, quoting from Deuteronomy 32.8, acknowledges that where we are and who we are largely originates with God himself. Right, Verse 27, why did God put them in those, those places? That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. And the idea would be this, that God put us where we're at. The fact we're in this room this morning is a divine appointment, right? Everything is led to this moment. And God not only puts us where we're at, but he is the the ethos. He is the, the environment in which we live. We not only live in a place, we live in God. We live where he has put us. He is the source of the life that we have. Uh, one of the things I'm amazed by the longer I live is, the maze, is how many things in my body are working without any conscious decision on my part. Just the other day, I saw an animation of how we breathe, and it was showing how our abdomen creates movement in our lungs upwardly as we take in air, and then it suppresses, and then we do it again. And we, I, I'm doing that all morning, and I haven't thought about it one time, the heart beating the brain working, the, the synopsis of everything in my being working and firing, all of that is God's orchestration. He is the source of all things. And so our origin, though it's diverse, all of it originates back uh, to God. And then you notice the end of verse 28, he says, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And so we see Paul here quoting one of their Greek poets not teaching the fatherhood of God and universal brotherhood of of man. He's not teaching here that we all go to heaven when we die and God is our God, every person. That comes only through trust in Jesus Christ. But we originate with God. We are the offspring of God in the sense that we have been created by him. Which I find fascinating that Paul quotes a Greek poet. That, That shows an effort on his part to connect with their culture and to build a bridge of connection that a cross could march the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so all of our diversity, where did it originate? How, where, let's go back then to the beginning. How do we know that the origins of our diversity issue forth from God? Well, there's a story in the Bible called the Tower of Babel. Have you heard of it? Um, and in that, and I just wanted to show you one picture. This would be the only existing, there's only a few of these on planet Earth. This is what's called a ziggurat um, that likely was the construction base um, Uh, that would have resembled that of the Tower of Babel from everything that we've studied. But it's interesting, if our source of diversity comes from one place, which is God, 
And then man's twisting of that and rejecting the command to replenish or to, to go out and to multiply and to uh, possess the earth. Um, we see God here diverse, adding diversity uh, in Genesis chapter 11. And it's interesting, everything that I have read of all the, of all the languages, there's 6,000 plus languages or main language groups uh, in the world, most language experts would agree that there is a maximum of 80 to 110 basic languages um, and from that different dialects and things. And we know based on Genesis and the accounts that follow it that there were about 78 people groups that left the Tower of Babel, which is well within the margin of error as far as how many basic languages we have. And so we see a, even in our dialects and our languages, everything came from a very limited uh, origin. Also, it's been interesting, I've read studies that talk about people tracing, listen, trace their genealogy back to Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, which is unbelievable. You know, with all the technology we have, they actually can trace back their family trees to those origins. And so, again, we see that affirming this shared origin of our diversities that we see today. And then lastly, this picture, this is actually the ziggurat, this would be in Iraq, um, and uh, this is the uh, ziggurat of Ur, U-R, and uh, there is none that still is completely built. All of them have lost the tops, which I find interesting since God destroyed the one in Babel. But it's interesting, these are built all over the world. So you have them in South America, you have them in uh, parts of the Middle East, and it's almost as if we all kind of learned this type of building, and then as we were scattered, we kept that building mindset as we traveled around the world. And there are all kinds of archaeological evidences that the diversity and the spread of humanity, we have shared things that mean at some point we were together in the same place. And so the Bible is very clear. We would believe it even if just the Bible said it, but even extra biblical evidence supports this idea that we all issue forth from a common origin. Um, there is a statement, I've heard this before, maybe you have as well. Have you ever heard the statement? Well, there goes the neighborhood. Have you heard that statement? And we kind of sometimes mean that in a, you know, maybe we're the, the reason others in our neighborhood say that. Uh, but do you know that, that that originates not from the best of sources? Um, it, it actually has racist overtones. There goes the neighborhood, especially in the Deep South back in the day. That was a reference to someone of a different ethnicity moving in and our house values going down and crime rates going up or whatever the the, the innuendos maybe were intended to say. Can I just say to you today, we all live in one neighborhood, and that is God's neighborhood. He put us where we're at to get along with others, to share God's love and truth, um, to be faithful, uh, to be a steward on the block that he's planted us. We live in his neighborhood. It is not ours versus another. And so just this word of application, we'll move to our second main point this morning. Where are you struggling with a better-than-thou mindset toward other races? Or, woe is me, as a downtrodden, uh, disadvantaged race, if you will, uh, where God has taught us that we are all made in His image, and everyone around us is as well. Where does our attitude need to change about our origins? Um, I heard someone say this um, recently. They said, the image of God is not located in one ethnic group. God loves diversity. And where are we uncomfortable with diversity that, listen to me, God made. 
And instead of reveling and rejoicing in it, as we do with variety and creation and changes in other things, why not celebrate where God has created diversity? All right, number two, go back to our text now to verse 29. Let's look at a second shared or common link that you and I have with all people that helps us overcome as well as to navigate the challenges of racism. Verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought to think, we ought not to think that God, that the Godhead, a reference to the Trinity, the triune God, is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. All right, number two, let's talk for a few minutes about not only our shared origins, or excuse me, origin, but number two, our shared problem. Um, it's funny to me how there are things that we all struggle with that we don't even realize everybody else struggles with. And I always love when someone brings up something, you know, man, this just is a constant battle for me. And then my heart, you know, I just like, yeah, me too. That's something I struggle with too. Um, the other day, someone was joking about the idea of, do you have, I don't know, maybe this isn't you, but where are you? Okay. So you have something, maybe it's in from scratch, you're baking or cooking something. It's something that's kind of pre-done. And so you open up the box or the container, you look at it in the directions, you put that in the trash, then you put it on the stove or in the oven. You know where I'm going with this? And then you forget how long or what you're supposed to do when, and then what do you do? You dig through the trash to find the container that somebody else piled on top of with a coffee filter, you know, from yesterday, and the list goes on. But you're trying to find that. Does that resonate? Or we could talk about all kinds of just living in this world. There are things we all struggle with. You know, I think if we're not careful, one of the reasons we struggle with racism, where we have a view of someone else that's dehumanizing or dismissive, is that we forget they have, listen to me, the same struggles, the same fears, the same burdens, the same brokenness. And it divides us where instead it should draw us closer to one another and the solutions we'll get to in a moment that God gives to all people. And so we have to deal with racism by finding answers through identifying our shared problem. Why is it so important that we actually, that we believe we're actually one race coming from one mutual great, 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 if you will, grandfather? Because if all people are their descendants, then all people are in rebellion against God and need the solution, which is Jesus Christ alone, which is why I opted to show that video today, because whether it's critical race theory or other things, we're undercutting the solution. We're undercutting this singular solution that God gives to us. And so we have to start by identifying the problem. Um, a couple of us were talking after church uh, back in, I guess it had been like the last Sunday of June, about the fact we were adjusting to a new federal holiday. Did you track with that? We had, I think it was actually instituted last year, but Juneteenth is what it's called. And it's the 19th of June. And I tried to go to the lawyer's office that day. I tried to go to the bank that day. I tried to do several things and close, 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 adjusting to that. Um, it, it's interesting how everything gets politicized, okay? May I just say that before, just a brief comment on that holiday specifically. But I was reading an article by a young man I respect. He's an inner city church planner in Atlanta. And he had a little different take on Juneteenth than I've heard from the usual sources that I read or that I'm influenced by. He was talking about the origins of it. As you know, we have the 13th Amendment when folks, slavery was outlawed in our country and all of the, uh, the debauchery and the, the wrongness of that in our nation's history. 
But it was several months after that before actually those in slavery in different states that had yet to ratify that federal amendment or apply that, and actually they had to go and free some of these slaves. And the last would have been on June 19th, 1865 in Texas, uh, when some of the National Guard came and freed over 250,000 enslaved uh, African Americans there in the state. And he was talking about the idea of how do we respond to these kind of things. And I think especially with our ethnicity, if we're not careful, we at least underappreciate these things. And he said this, slavery wasn't in the world in the first two chapters in the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. It's not in the last two chapters either, Revelation 21 and 22. Therefore, Christians should do all we can now to live in light of God's original design and Jesus' coming kingdom. The church is to be a preview of what is to come by opposing the institution of slavery and rejoicing in its abolition. I don't think it's wrong to celebrate the the holiday. I don't think it's something we have to call out, though some may sabotage or use it for a political agenda. I'm against slavery. It has an impact in my origins the way maybe it has others in our culture. I think we need to be very careful to identify shared problems. Any any, um, ethnic group that has been Um, mistreated, that should affect us, should it not? And sometimes because of all of the political rhetoric and some of the associated agendas with it, we're not as quick to identify with others' problems as we should. I think we are called, not in the wrong sense, we're called to stand for what's right no matter what and who the wrong is being done against. And I think a lot of racist division in our day could be overcome if we would be known as that kind of people. We are against wrong and we are for right. And so find answers through shared problems. Racism typically deals with fruit issues when God wants to deal with root issues. And so for us to deal with racism, we have to be willing to identify those root ones. All right, notice Paul gets to the root of these problems. First in verse 29, as we just read, jot this down. What are the problems we all have? Number one, jot this down idolatrous problems. Our biggest issue is idolatry. And I'm going to, in a second, with the Lord's help, connect how idolatry feeds our racism tendencies to judge others, to dismiss others based on their skin pigment. Um, It ultimately is rooted in idolatry. Go back to verse 16, because this is what prompted Paul to preach this message. He was supposed to just be kind of staying over for a period of time. This was a transitional moment in his ministry. And in verse 16, it says, now while Paul waited for them in Athens, all right, he's just waiting to move on with his itinerant ministry. Notice this, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to, what's the next word? Idolatry. Um, Paul goes into Athens, which is this, um, it, it is the, the, the pinnacle of Greek culture. This would have been in the early, obviously, first century AD, but already some of its, its glory had begun to fade, and yet still all around him was all of this cultural richness, and, and not just the cultural richness, but the, the celebrating of it, the worshiping of it. And so Paul begins to preach uh, the gospel, which leads us then, go to verse 29. So that now he sets up all of this that we've already studied, really to get back now to verse 29. Notice what he says. For as much then as we are the offspring of God. So the verses we just read, he now concludes or summarizes. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And so here we see the conclusion Paul gives that since humans have been created by God, 
then he cannot be made by us. A form of an idol, an image conceived and constructed by man is an insult to the God who has made us. Now listen to this, key statement today. Ultimately, racial division is an idolatry problem. The worship of self and everybody like self. That has been a revolutionary thought for me as I've considered this subject. Do you know that ultimately racism is just blatant idolatry? I think I'm the standard. I'm the source of and the pinnacle of human achievement and perspective, or I've been kept down from being that. And number two, those who most understand me and the most advanced and sophisticated and ideal person is someone who looks just like me. And so our idolatry, our worship of self, uh, is one of the greatest feeders and sustainers of what we would label as racism in our day. I don't know that it really is racism. I think it ultimately and bluntly put is idolatry. One authorized reading said this, the cause of, of evil... He was referencing racism lay, lays in this, lies in this. That men do not reckon with the majesty of the Lord, who alone by his grace is able to hold in check a human race mired in sin. The majesty of God, until we worship him, we're going to always make it about us. Whether we're the victim or the victor, whether we're the ideal or we're the suppressed, we make it about us instead of the majesty of God. And so the source of our problems is always idolatry. All right, verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to, here's another key word, repent. So our first problem is idolatry. Number two, jot this down, unrepentant problem. So we have an idolatrous problem. Number two, we have a, an unrepentant problem. Now, when you think of Greek culture, and try to think maybe just more in pop culture, what do you think of when you think of Greek people? Um, some of you have been to Greece, or you, you maybe have some neighbors or other people you've known who are Greek. When I think of them, I think of very, like, bombastic, laughing, they're big families, they're big, you know, and all of that. I won't try to give you my best Greek impersonation today. I would only embarrass myself and those who are Greek. Um, <laughs> But one of the things I think about with the Greek culture is smashing of plates. Do any of you have that come to your mind? Were you thinking of that? I thought about bringing one and just, you know, dropping it on the floor just to wake you back up today. But I was like, what's the deal with that? Why do the Greeks smash plates? And so I, I dug into that a bit as I'm prone to do. I get sidetracked sometimes. Um, and it's a, it's a symbol, sim, uh, symbolic ritual. They actually do both at funerals and weddings. So at a funeral, they will smash a plate. This is maybe true more in days gone by than it is today, especially in our, our country. But smashing the plate was the signal of, a, of the end of life, and it was almost trying to do it in a way that was more celebratory, and so they would smash the plate for that. And the one I think of is at weddings, they do it as well. And their thinking is this, that any happy occasion, this is the Greek culture and belief, a happy occasion often attracts bad spirits or evil spirits, and so... Their thought is, if they do it at a funeral, then why not do it at a wedding, which kind of camouflages the fact it's a, it's a festive thing. And so it's basically to protect the young couple from evil spirits um, was the best understanding I could get from why they originally, at least, smashed plates at funerals and weddings. You know what I find really striking? Is the Greeks who thought they were so cultured in Paul's day, notice how Paul labels it. The times of this what? Ignorance. 
Isn't that striking? I don't know if Paul ducked from the plates that were coming his way when he said that, but he said, hey, the times of this, and, it, as he, and I don't know what word they thought he was going to say, but I doubt it was the word ignorance. Can I just tell you today, much of our culture, bluntly put, what's unique to us in our culture, whatever you come from today, not all of us come from the same cultural origins, it's ignorance. It's ignorance in light of what God has revealed to us that is our common need and our common problem that God identifies so lovingly and directly. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, you can read on your own time, it talks about the Greeks desire a sign. The foolishness of preach, the preaching is foolishness to them. In all their searching, in all their culture, they still hadn't found God. They were not even sure, they were sure they had missed at least one God, and so they had created this altar to him. The ignorance of the Greek culture. Notice the end of verse 30, he says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so now they have revealed, God has revealed himself to the Gentiles and the command is that they would repent. They would turn to God from their culture and from their idolatry that they would trust in him. Now, when you hear the, hear the word repent, what do you think of? The idea is basically an about face. You turn from what you were facing and focusing on and you turn to face or to go in a different direction. The way we get free of racism is by focusing less upon faces like ours and faces different than ours and instead focusing upon the face of God. Repenting of where other faces, including our own, have dictated our beliefs and direction and instead turn from that to face a holy living God. And ultimately, that's who we've offended. That's who we need to repent to and towards. And so may this repentance move us away from racism and toward him. And it's interesting because not only do idolatry and racism track together, but so do racial racism tendencies in each of us and our proneness to be unrepentant. What is basically unrepentance? It is a refusal to do what? To change. It's a refusal to change. To change from seeing things the way we see things to the way someone else sees things. And listen to me, if we can get comfortable and used to repenting before God, then we can change our thinking about other people. We can change our view of them. We can change our relationship with them. We can change how we respond to them. And how we develop this healthy uh, view of all people is by getting very familiar with repenting to God. God, you're right and I'm wrong. I acknowledge it. I change and about face, are we comfortable with that common practice? One pastor friend of mine said this, a healthy church is, is not a gathering of the perfect, but of the repentant. That's really what we gather to do today, don't we? I hope you'll be challenged today, but then you'll change. And I hope I will as well. It's a gathering not of the perfect, but of repentant. And hence why we're so segregated. <laughs> we aren't used to repenting. It's something we're out of practice with where we should be very familiar with. One author said this, racism is not a skin problem, but a sin problem. Is that not true? Getting used to repenting of our own sin and encouraging others to do the same breaks down walls we never thought could be broken down. And I'll just give you this last illustration because we've gotten out of touch with, I'm amazed, aren't you, when you read when some of our racism in our country was at its highest? It was literally like 50 years ago. That's mind-boggling to me. Some of you grew up and lived during some of those eras. 
And I was reading a book that was talking about cemeteries in Atlanta, Georgia, where owners of pets who were white people refused to bury their pets next to pets owned by black people. Now that in one way is hilarious and ridiculous, but is that not also despicable? That's where we go and that's where we stay until we acknowledge we have a shared problem. And that problem is not the skin color uh, of the owner of the pet that my pet's buried next to. Those are superficial. Those are petty. Our problem is much deeper. May we allow God to help us with that. All right, last thought on this and we'll move to our last point. In your bulletin, I put today an article written by a man, uh, well put. He put in there 10 reasons why racism is sin. And I hope that you will identify it as that. You will repent of it where you're guilty of it. And you ask God to help you change in the areas that you need to. It, listen, racism is sin. It's not cultural differences. It's not we just have some understandings and some past issues. It is sin. May we be willing to acknowledge it and repent of it. All right, let's end today in these last couple of verses. Go to verse 31. And all this is building now to this message Paul is about to give to these Greeks that he had so little, if anything, in common with. Verse 31, Because he hath appointed, why does God command men everywhere to repent? Because, because he hath appointed a day. There's a day, a singular day coming, in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. All right, last, let's talk for a minute about the shared solution. This is my favorite part of our study today. If we'll acknowledge the shared origin, if we'll acknowledge the shared problem, that means also we get to share in a common solution. This may be a random tangent today uh, for just a moment, but have you ever seen an owl? You know what I mean? Like a big saucer eye. We've been at zoos and things. Um, do you know that they have a different... Uh, uh, feather profile than ever, most other birds. Most birds, you'll see them out even in the rain like today. When you're coming in, you'd see maybe certain birds out doing their thing. Owls do not have waterproof feathers. Did you know that? I did not know that till this past week. And here are a couple pictures to testify of that. Isn't that cute, but also pitiful? Uh, and then this, this one cracks me up. like, man, just come on, people, you know, does that capture your, that ought to be some of you, your profile picture probably online when you first wake up. Um, when, I, when I think of an owl, I think of their eyes. Can I just tell you today that one of the reasons that we're not where we should be with God, not just with others, but with God is because we've yet to realize there's only one thing that we need to look to. There's only one person that we all need to look to. No matter our skin color, our background, the problem we all have can only be solved when we look to Jesus. And that ultimately is the issue with racism. That's why it continues to be propped up and sustained and we keep being pitted against each other. Is because as long as I convince you have a different problem than I do, and maybe I don't even have one, I can't point you to Jesus. You can't point me to Jesus. And so there's a shared solution, not just when we're drenched, if you will, but when we're saturated with sin and corruption, um, God is and Jesus is the one that we must turn our eyes to. Um, 
One of the things I feel as a pastor, I regularly do, and even as I was looking through the connection cards from two weeks ago, is how inadequate I feel to give help to people. It's just there, there's, I, I never feel like when I leave on Friday or when I come in on Tuesday here that I've got everything done I was supposed to and that everybody that needs help, I've been able to help them or even know how to help them. And I read this the other day, a man that also serves in ministry, he said this, sometimes pastors feel the pressure to attempt to meet every expectation people have on their lives. And then he said this, because that got my attention. I feel that sometimes, maybe not others imposing it, but me on myself. The best thing he said we can do is point people to Jesus and not pretend to be a savior ourselves. And so really this struggle with racism is really letting go of the fact we've got all the answers and everybody like me, if we were in charge, man, we could fix this. We could get this world in order. And instead realizing all of us are the problem and only Jesus is the solution and pointing all people to him. That's how the local church exploded in the book of Acts. I, I don't think we appreciate the range of those in the room, slaves and slave owners, um, and it was a little different in that culture, but that kind of a dynamic and Jew and Gentile and all kinds of when they would eat together and when they would clean and not clean and all those things, all that melting pot, Jesus entered in and provided the shared solution. So let's talk about two things as we finish today as it relates to this. Number one, a savior solution. So if we have a shared solution, what is the solution? We need a savior we need someone to save us who's outside of the human race and yet entered into the human race to provide for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. And so Paul here says in verse 31, there's a day coming when this Jesus who came the first time is going to come back again and judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. And I love how he says it there, the man, did you notice that, by the man whom he hath ordained. He's the standard, not your race or mine. He is the standard. He is the one we look to for salvation. And so there's only one who is the man, Christ Jesus. The rest of us, with all of our racial standards and preferences, we still fall short of God's glory. And by the way, Jesus was not a Caucasian, just because that's the vibe in the room. You do know that, right? And I think we have co-opted the gospel to fit our take on things. And by doing so, we're stripping the gospel of its power and its relevance and its application to every person on the planet. One author said this, racism is more than just a social issue. It's a blood issue. By his own blood, Jesus ransomed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. All of them. Christ died to draw us together, not apart. And so may we allow him to be the singular savior that we preach and profess. All right, let's end then with the reaction of these Greeks. Look at verse 32, and this is our commitment as a church, and I hope you as a believer, and for those that are not, I trust you respond today. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. And so you see, Paul preaches the gospel calls them to faith, and notice the response. Some mocked, some delayed. I was reading an article the other day. Uh, obviously, us in Russia are not getting along in recent days. I don't know if we ever really have. 
but they're opting out of the International Space Station in 2024. It's been a collaborative uh, venture for some time now, and they're going to build, Russia is professing, they're going to build their own outpost in space, independently of the International Space Station. You know there is in this room, if we're not careful, a tendency to think, that as it relates to faith and confidence about the future, that if we could just get control of this thing, that, that we could take us into a brighter future. That, that it's other inferior. We would never say that out loud. But the nationalism and the, the cultural bent that we have, we, we think if we could be in charge, we could solve things as it relates to the future. And can I tell you, to believe in that is to get into a future someday where we are doubly in a bad spot. I, I need faith in God. I need faith in Jesus Christ. And so number two, jot this down, a faith solution Savior solution, number two, a faith solution. It is trust in this Jesus that will move us forward in a way that pleases the Lord. And it's interesting, the mockery here. We just kind of read verse 32, but the resurrection was an anathema to Greek culture. They rejected the gospel based on the merits of their own cultural beliefs. And often, if we are not careful, we also are undercutting some tenet or some truth about the gospel uh, through our cultural bias, as well as those that hesitate. Now, here's the glorious part. Look at verse 34. How be it, certain men clave unto him, notice these next two words, and believed. Among uh, the which were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So Paul makes the message about Jesus Christ. And because he stayed faithful to the message, listen, people got saved. People received the true, unadulterated, pure message of Jesus Christ. And so faith in God and in Jesus is the solution to our deepest problems. Here we have Paul, an Orthodox Jew of Jews, doing everything he can to reach those who could not have been superficially more different than him with a gospel that every person must believe or reject. Um, Somebody said this of the church, the bride of Christ, I love this, the bride of Christ is not defined by ethnicity. Like when God looks at us today, we're either in the bride, we're a part of the bride, or we are not. There's no differentiating of that ethnicity. There's no distinguishing of that in the sense we would impose. We are simply in Christ. And so there's only one solution to everything and everyone currently struggling under the label of racism, and his name is Jesus, the one we all personally do know or can know today. All right, let's end in chapter 4 of Acts. Would you go there for a moment? Appreciate your kind attention today. Acts chapter 4 and verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 12. Acts chapter 4. Verse 12, and I want to show you a couple more pictures that don't include owls, okay? So sorry, these aren't as exciting. Um, I had the privilege of going to uh, Israel this past January, and when we got there, uh, we had some issues with a couple of the people in our group. Uh, they, they tested positive, or their test was inconclusive, and so some of the group was able to travel abroad. The others had to isolate in their hotel rooms until, if you remember all that, you guys were praying for me that I would test negative when I got there. And so a few of us got to go to these two sites, and I wanted to show them to you. So this has been first day in Israel. Um, In the foreground is a uh, model 
of a port called Caesarea Philippi. So what you see at the bottom, this is what the port would have looked like in Peter's day, in Acts era of time. And then in the background is what it looks like today. And you can see kind of to the right there, a little bit remaining of the retaining wall. But it was an artificial harbor that they created there in Caesarea Philippi. Um, And so we went there. Now before we went there, so remember that picture in your mind, uh, we went to... Uh, this port, which is down, this would be to the south along the coast uh, of the Mediterranean, to a city called, we would say Joppa, they would call it Jaffa, or Hafa would be how they would pronounce it. So think about those two pictures. So Caesarea Philippi, this has an application with racism, and then you have Joppa or Jaffa. Do you know that in Jaffa or Joppa, two men had to wrestle with racism? First, you have a man named Jonah, remember? God tells him to go to Nineveh. Where does he flee? To a boat in Joppa. Many years later, and that was one of the fascinating things about the trip was how Old Testament stories overlap in the same exact spot as New Testament ones. And I don't know if that's all by accident. I think God might have something in there for us. And then you have Peter in the New Testament receives a a vision at the house of Simon the Tanner, right? Who, where was he living? in Joppa. While Peter is there, he receives the vision about a man named Cornelius. Where did Cornelius live? Caesarea. And so you have God dealing with racism in the port of Joppa. Peter then goes to Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, and his household gets saved the moment Peter accepts the fact God is no respecter of persons. My point in showing those pictures and telling you that brief story is racism and the gospel are the antithesis of one another. It is a war for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is in reality then a war for the souls of man. It has nothing to do with skin. It has everything to do with what will abide and live forever somewhere in eternity. Now look here in Acts chapter 4, and let's land here today. Peter earlier, prior to that vision, In chapter 4 and verse 12, this is on the heels of Pentecost and the Spirit coming. Notice he preaches this message, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, that pretty much includes all of us, given among men whereby we must be saved. And so this thought as we finish today, ultimately racism is a spiritual battle against more than flesh and blood. The very gospel of Jesus Christ and eternal destinies are at stake. Therefore, listen to me, we have got to get this right. Because the gospel is at stake. And the souls of every person we know and meet and will someday are in the balance with what we believe about race. One author said this, and we'll pray, separating people was a curse from Babel. Bringing people together was a gift from Pentecost. If our inclination is to move in the direction of the punishment of Genesis 11 instead of the blessing of Acts 2, something is majorly wrong. Which direction are we moving this morning? Listen, we have a shared origin, a shared problem, and a shared solution. May you and I join together to stand for those. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.